Good evening, guys. Got a quick video to show you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. What do you need? What's wrong with you? I trust you. I trust you. Oh, dang. Hey, dude, trust me, okay? What? As people, we thrive on trust. Sorry about that. Anyway, sometimes we place our trust in things like that, or people who with or or people without really thinking about it twice. We just put our trust in those things. For example, we trust that the sun's going to rise, right? We trust that it's going to set, hopefully. We also trust that we won't be victims of natural disasters, hopefully. When you walk into a room, you flip the switch and you trust that the light's going to turn on if you've got electricity in your house. We trust in all of these little things these every, everyday little things, without thinking about it. We go through the day and we trust that these things are just going to happen. So much so that we don't give it a second thought. Also, we, we place our, our trust in people. The engineers that designed, and designed the roads that were created that got you here to church. If you got a bad cold or some some sort of infection, you got antibiotics that some scientists created to heal our bodies. If you're not using a, an actual hardcover Bible, you're using it on your phone, you trust in your phone to work, to pull up the app, right? You, you trust in the people that make technology to make life easier. We go through life placing our trust in people and in things without really thinking about it. But when push comes to shove, the person we tend to trust the most in is ourselves. It doesn't matter how old you are, we tend to trust our own reasoning far too often. Whether it's conflict with a friend, it's issues at school, you're butting heads with your parents, you trust yourselves more often than you'd like to admit it. We trust our gut, we trust our knowledge, we trust our emotions, our, our overanalyzed thoughts are always, we feel like they're always the truth. We turn to ourselves because we trust in our own logic and our own reasoning. This is counter to what scripture would have us do, would have for us, would command us to do. See, time and again, the word of God points us to lean not on our own understanding and gives us narratives Narratives about the differences, the differences with our flawed judgments and God's holy ones. In the narrative we're looking at tonight, Moses gives us an account. An account that shows us that we need to trust that God knows best, even when we don't know and don't understand his reasoning.
Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 18, and we're going to start with verses 16 through 19. And I apologize for this whiplash from going to, from Christmas music to Genesis chapter 18. See, trusting God isn't easy. But what we're going to see here is that God is sovereign, and his plan is constantly in motion. We find Abraham here in this passage having just been promised the fa- to, be, to become the father of the nations, of a great nation. And he, he's just learned, just the beginning of chapter 18, he's just learned that his wife will be pregnant within the year, even though she's beyond childbearing years. See, Abraham and the messengers, or here men in chapter 18, as it says, that brought this good news to Abraham and Sarah begin their journey as our text picks up here in verses 16 through 19. So go ahead and follow along. We're going to read starting at verse 16. And that says, Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. See, we see God having this dialogue with himself and deciding to give Abraham insight into his plans. Even though Abraham did not deserve, he was not owed this knowledge or this foresight. See, in the previous verses, God shared this plan shared plans with Abraham about their child, and Sarah doesn't even believe his plans. doesn't believe what he's promising them. Now God's going to share another plan with Abraham, and both of these plans are meant for good, are meant with a purpose. See, we have to remember that in God's sovereignty, he has a plan for us that includes our here and nows and our there and thens. And as you learn to believe in God's good plans, You need to, point number one, trust in God's plan for you. Trust in God's plan for you. See, guys, we we tend to walk in whatever, whatever situation, whatever circumstance, we tend to walk in new or old thinking we have a firm grasp on things. Oh, that's already happened. I know how I dealt with that, you know, three months ago. I'm going to deal with it the same way. We go into it with our own reasoning, with our own logic, with our own knowledge and what we consider wisdom. See, at least that's what we, we want to think that. We want to think that, okay, I'm, I'm pretty smart. I'm pretty wise. See, I mean, at the beginning at, of chapter 18, the Lord promises Abraham and Sarah a child. And what does Sarah do? She laughs. She chuckles. Because she knew. She was old. How in the world can this, can, uh, can this be promised to me? I can't have another baby. She couldn't comprehend the Lord's reasoning, the Lord's promise. Backseat drivers. Any of you backseat drivers? Have you ever had a backseat driver? Do you know what a backseat driver is? Okay, good. You're tracking with me. I got some nods over there. Great. My oldest daughter is quick to say, Dad, you're going the wrong way. She's six. But Dad, you're going the wrong way. And anytime I go on a, diff- a different route home from school or church, it's, it's always that, Dad, you're going the wrong way. We don't go this way. What are you doing? 
No one asked her to be the Lewis and Clark <laughs> uh, on our drive home, but she does it anyway. She has, she, she has a lack of trust in my navigational skills, which I don't appreciate as a 34-year-old man. You know, it's not always helpful having a passenger who's so doubting, but when you're, when you're, when you're absolutely sure about where you're going. I know where I'm going, but she doubts me. See, while driving is not always, my driving isn't always perfect. God's plan is perfect. And sometimes we're like the backseat driver to God's plan and where he's headed and what he set himself to, to accomplish, his purpose. We're in the back saying, that's, that's wrong. There's no way. There's no way we're going the right direction. I said I wanted to go that way. See, the more we learn about God and his trustworthiness, the more we can trust his plans for our life. And Abraham, in this passage, in verses 16 through 19, Abraham was about to learn God's plan. And not just that, but God's going to lay out in these verses that this plan was going to stabilize Abraham's future nation. And in order to get the reward promised to him, Abraham needed to learn to trust in God's plan. Now, we're able to do that. We're capable of doing that. We can trust in his plan for us by doing these things. So we trust in God's plan for us by not leaning on our own understanding. We trust in his plan for us by not leaning in our, uh, on our own understanding. See, trusting in God means we're not to be trusting in our own ability or in our own knowledge. That, that means you got to keep your gut in check. Now, what I mean by that is we tr- we tend, sometimes we, we, we'll, we'll trust our gut. Like, I, don't got, I don't have a good feeling about that, dude. Or I don't have a good feeling about that situation. Seems a little shady, right? But our gut, our gut, trusting our gut isn't going to lead us to trust God. But checking it with Scripture will. Scripture will give us those commandments. Scripture will give us those statutes by which we need to be living our lives. Second thing is, pray through your emotions to stay grounded. That looks like this. Right? Whatever anxiety you're, you're feeling right now, this very second, whatever fear you're feeling right now, this very second, whatever worry you're feeling right now, this very second, those things are already driving you to do something different, to run in a completely opposite direction of God. See, those things are built into us. We are created with those things to motivate, to be motivated to do something else. When you're feeling anxious, you're going to pray. You need to pray through to stay grounded and run towards God. Don't let the anxiety drive you. Same thing with fear. Don't let the fear drive you to run away or run further from God. You need to stay humble and keep learning instead of trusting you know everything about anything. We trust in his plans for us by not leaning on our own understanding and also acknowledging that God's plans are better than ours. Know for certain that God's plan is for your best. It is in your best interest to acknowledge that, to know that God knows best. 
just a real quick sidebar. I know I just started into this, but just real quick. Okay, just track with me, guys, okay? God orders everything for believers so that all of life's experiences work out for our good. And you hear what, you'll see what I say, why I'm saying that here in just a second. See, not everything is good in, in, in and of itself, but, but God uses it for our good. When we're rooted in that, when we acknowledge that God knows best, that God knows better than us, that even, even in the midst of not understanding, I have no idea why this is happening, I have no clue, I just can't fathom why anybody would have to go through this, why anybody would have to struggle with this, right? When you're rooted in God, in God's word, there's no need to have to worry for that. There's no need to have to have anxiety over that struggle, over that worry. Because we know that God, God does have his reasons. God does have his purposes. God does have his intentions for us. And those are, those are good. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and verse 31 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? See, God's sovereign care and guidance for us covers even the death of, of sparrows and the hairs of our head. And here's what I mean by that. Right? Because in this particular passage, we have, something, we have something hairy, we have something complicated and complex that's about to happen. What I, and what I mean by that is that God... God puts in his plan even the most minute details, the, most, the smallest details that you could possibly think of. God considers that. God is concerned about that, and God cares for you and wants to guide you through that. Not just the smallest details of our lives, but the, most, the, the more complicated, complex things in our lives. Even more, God's wisdom isn't something that people would think about or even comprehend. Our, God's wisdom, see, we understand our own knowledge, our own wisdom, our own logic and reasoning. That makes sense to us. But God's wisdom is, is, is unfathomable. We can't, we can't comprehend that. See, in his plan, which often seem like hard, they're hard to understand, see, in his plan, God chose Abraham to be a mighty nation. That is, that's huge. That is a profound statement. God had elected Abraham and that nation that would come from him to be righteous and just. That is, the people would be an image of God's righteousness and his just. And these people would have an intimate, would need to have an intimate and would have one with God, intimate knowledge with God and of God. And this is how we know for certain that God's ultimate plan is for our best. That no matter the circumstances, we know that God cares for us and he guides us. When we trust in his plans for us by not leaning on our own understanding and by acknowledging that God's plans are better than ours. So when we're acknowledging that his plans are better than ours, we take a no or a wait like a champ. You rest in the answer you have. If you're looking to get into a specific university, hoping to have a certain job, or maybe you're looking to date that specific someone, know that the answer can be no and rest easy in that. Or like Abraham and Sarah, being promised a child. 
and you keep persistently praying through that. No matter the answer, continue praying. Pray unceasingly. Don't stop from praying. Give God thanks even if the answer isn't what you want. See, guys, trusting in his plan can be tough. And sometimes we don't, we don't see an answer. When we don't see an answer for, for, for something until days or months or even years later. But that doesn't mean we should rely on our own reasoning, on our own understanding when we don't understand what is happening. When we don't understand, okay, all right, God, where, where are we going? Where am I going? See, the plan we're meant to live out is created by the greatest planner. Think of it this way. It's like a construction foreman, right? If you don't know what a construction foreman is, is they, they oversee a construction site, a, con, a construction job site. And what these guys do is that they, so they have various duties on this construction site. And one of them is a very important duty, and that's being able to uh, read a blueprint. And that's a, a mapped out sheet, paper. Now it's probably virtually, so it's on an iPad. But basically what this is, is this shows... What, how we need to be building this building, this house, whatever it is that they're building. He needs to be able to look at that. And they have a, a, a plan to follow in order to ensure the building gets built on time and in the manner it was designed. This thing has to be built to the T exactly as it was designed in order for them to be building it. And things wouldn't be running well if the foreman decided, you know what? I'm going to bust out this blueprint. I'm going, to, I'm going to change it here. I'm going to change it here. You know, we're going to have like 10 bathrooms instead of the three normal bathrooms. You get the point, right? Things would not go well on that job site if you have a foreman who's in charge of the construction site redoing the blueprint. Things would not be running well, and they would be in opposition to what the architect and the owner had for this building, the intentions they had for this building. See, God's plan is perfect. His plan is not one that we should chuckle, shrug off, or decide that we're going to try to change. And this is a plan that is deliberate and exact. His plans are precise and purposeful, so much so that we shouldn't be left questioning his reasoning or wisdom. God's plan for his people is etched in stone and immutable, and one that, one that he works quickly, but patiently to see through. And what we're going to see is God patiently examine the evidence against Sodom. That's why we must remember to, point number two, trust God to patiently execute his plan. Let's look back at the text, starting at verse 20. Verse 20 says, Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. In these verses, God mentions outcry twice. And this outcry mentioned in these verses aren't coming from observers. It's not somebody who's running over to report, Hey, there's an outcry. It's coming from within the city the inhabitants. What was happening within Sodom and Gomorrah was enough to cause moral outrage. It was heinous moral and social corruption. And there was a, dis, a, a, a blatant disregard 
for human basic needs. Basic human needs. In fact, Ezekiel describes it this way. They were, they, they were prideful, haughty, and plenty. They had plenty. They had lots. But it had no regard for the poor or the needy. And all the while, committing grievous acts before God. See, this has no place in God's righteous and just plan. This has no place for who God intended us to be. Real quick, have you guys, have you ever been arguing with your brother and sister in the other room? And your mom peeks her head around the, the wall and is like, hey, you guys stop. You guys stop. And she tells you over and over and over again. And then it's not mom who peeks around, but now it's dad walking into the room. We all, we all know how serious it is when dad walks into the room. See, you guys at home have a set of rules that you have to abide to, that you live by, set by your parents. And when those are broken, there are consequences. And our parents start with reminders, they, they, then, they, then they turn it to, to the scolding. You're being scolded now. And then if you continue breaking those family rules, justice can be served up quickly. See, like the dad that patiently sits on the couch, God will eventually be swift to act upon the disobedience. In the same way your parents look to you to follow those rules obediently, the Lord wants to be living by who he planned us to be. And Christ talks about that a little bit. Just follow along. You can write this down, but Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. Matthew 22, 37 through 40, Christ says, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. See, that first part he mentions there is how devoted to the Lord his people needed to be. That was a focus, a love for God. And the second thing that they had to be doing was loving and having a respectful treatment of others. They needed to be loving other people. And this is crucial on how we need to be living. That's loving God and loving others. See, guys, we're, we're meant to seek his righteousness. And that's what, he, that's what God intended for Abraham and that nation, the nations that came from him that they would be a righteous and just people. And we are meant to seek his, his righteousness. We're meant to be compassionate, and we're meant to uphold what is right and just. And this is all possible because of Christ. See, my righteousness is not my own, but bought in full by Christ's work on the cross. So that needs to be giving us confidence to love God and to love other people. And because of those things, because we have that ability because, because God granted us that ability. We have that same compassion. And it's for that reason, the Lord being compassionate, he hears the outcry and decides to act. In these verses, we see God ready to examine the situation. And by doing so, in verses 20-21, after I, I just read those, but in verses 20-21, he says, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. Well, it's God, so he already knew that, but he was going down there 
to, to, to show that he acted justly and not carelessly. See, now, this may be tough to grasp. It might be, it might be gr- tough to grasp onto how we all fit in this. See, I mean, we, we, we know that God is able to do whatever he chooses to do. Psalm 136 says that. God does whatever he, he wants on heaven and on earth. It's because he's just, he's righteous, and the judge of all the earth. So we can patiently trust him to act because he purposes all things. We can patiently trust the Lord to act because he purposes all things. See, the thing with God is that he's not a, he's not a fortune teller. He's not just a predictor of things. It's not randomness. See, he knows what's to come and performs what he plans. He doesn't create and then wonder, hey, who's going to take responsibility of this? He assumes responsibility of what he sets out to accomplish. And he'll accomplish his purpose from the smallest to the largest thing. And yes, if you continue reading Genesis, Genesis 19, he destroys Sodom. But God also takes care to accomplish the small things as well. In the grand scheme of things, this may look like a struggle you're going through right this very second. What school you're going to end up at. What job you're going to eventually have. Who you're going to end up marrying. What church am I going to attend one day? You know, we look at this passage and we go, man... Those people were wicked. God is just. He's a just God. But he's a, just, he, he's, he's, he's a God that accomplishes his purposes, and that's down to the smallest detail in life to the largest and most complicated thing. So we can patiently trust him to act because he purposes all things. And second thing is we see our hope in his sovereignty. God's sovereign in his timing. And it's so easy to think about what we're lacking, what we need right now, what we don't know right now, because we don't ever have the big picture. It's so hard to comprehend what we don't know because we don't, we don't foresee that. And if you're a great planner, which I think a lot of you are, because a lot of you... I, I hear the way you guys talk about school and how prepared you always are, so I know you're great planners to, to be able to spin all the plates that you're spinning. But when we are lacking or when we are disappointed in how something doesn't go, we can't be mad. We have to understand that that we need to be quick, we should be quick to cling to God's ability to provide for us. See, our planning may be flawless. We may have our entire four years of high school planned out, but that, that is, that's nice. It's good to plan, right? But at the end, the Lord establishes your way. See, and we should also see the goodness in God's timing. Because when there are delays, we should see those delays as part of his goodness. 
when you make petitions, requests of the Lord, he's going to listen to you. But he, almost, he, he might also say, hey, you're going to have to wait for this one. Or he might say, no, not now. And it's in those moments that you should not cease from praying and thanking the Lord. See, as we come out of verses 20 and 21, the Lord is assuming the role of judge. We, we know that as if, you know, when you read through the passage, we, we understand that. He's, he's, he's about to judge. He's, he's about to be just with Sodom. And this is the, for the sole, the sole purpose of revealing his actions to Abraham. And the perfect judge assembles the evidence in order to render a just and righteous verdict. And for the first time in scripture, a man initiates a conversation with God. We're up to the 18th chapter in Genesis, and for the first time, a man initiates a conversation with God. And what we have here is we have a, a beautiful and bold and flawed intercession. And this should remind us that when we go to the Lord in prayer for anything, we need to be ready for anything and everything. If we hold on to our plans, our desires, and our wills, we will only be met with a devastating disappointment. I'm not telling you not to plan. I'm not telling you to be prepared. But it's when you hold on to those things for dear life that you will be met with a devastating disappointment. Like I said, we may be great planners, but God's plan is one that is patiently executed. But the Lord allows us to come to him with prayers and petitions, and with those prayers and petitions are aligned with his will, we can be content with the response. And that's why we must remember, we must always remember, point number three, ask and be content with the answer. Ask and be content with the answer. Now, as we continue this passage, we see a conversation between Abraham and God play out. Abraham chooses to intercede for Sodom, which speaks loudly of the type of man that he, he was. And it's for justice that he pleads for the deliverance of any righteous within Sodom. And Abraham shows compassion for a city that had none. Go ahead and follow along. We're going to jump back into the text. Verse 22 so the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood, still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. In verse 23, Abraham begins his pleading, probing, God how, probing how God would be a righteous judge if the righteous and wicked were, were to both be destroyed. Abraham was bold to initiate this conversation and had to be ready for whatever the answer would be. Question for you guys. Have you ever asked for something, and then had to wait for it? Yes? Okay, some, some head nods there. How about when you asked for something and the answer was no? I think everybody, right? Everybody's been there. 
You're devastated. You're disappointed. For some of you, that's when you didn't get accepted to the college of your choice. Maybe you don't get into the friend group that you really wanted to be in. Maybe someone you know is sick and you're just wanting them to feel better. You want to see them healed. See, the point is, is when we ask things of the Lord, we must ask them humbly and reverently. Abraham's prayers were genuine, they were humble, and they were reverent. See, Abraham, wasn't, Abraham didn't forget who he was speaking to. He wasn't asking for anything selfishly. He placed himself in the middle, in between Sodom and the Lord, and pleaded for justice for the righteous people there. So he was demonstrating his faith by pleading for Sodom. He was demonstrating his compassion by pleading for any righteous people living in the city. And it should be said that those who enjoy God's blessings exalt, uh, will, will teach justice, may intercede for just judgment to preserve, preserve the righteous, and know that God may preserve the wicked for the sake of the righteous. Why? Because they understand God's, the blessing that God is bestowing upon them. And that's what Abraham was experiencing. He had been promised a son. He had been, he'd been pro promised to be the father of nations. God, or Abraham knew that God, was a, a, that God is a God of righteousness and justice. I can't even imagine how difficult that conversation would have been. But we have a God who is patient to listen when our ways match his. See, we can ask and be content with the response when we do these things. See, we ask and believe that God is able We can ask and be content when the response, with the response when we ask and believe that God is able. See, in verse 23, Abraham asks, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Abraham couldn't imagine that the righteous would suffer alongside the wicked. And see, there's going to be a lot of times when we don't understand God's we don't understand God's reasoning, God's timing, God's plan, but we can understand that he is faithful. And we can, we can and should boldly ask of the Lord, but, but not doubt when we think it's a wrong answer or it isn't what we wanted to hear or it doesn't line up with, with, with our planned schedule. So we ask and we're content with the response when we ask and believe that God is able, but also when we ask and believe that God is sovereign. God has a supreme rule over all creation. Now, I want you guys to take a moment. We're going to step out of this sermon scenario here. And I just want you to take a second. Take a second and marvel at your own salvation. If you profess to be a Christian tonight, marvel at your own salvation this evening. That God bought, he, he bought that with his sovereign power. And because of that, we can confidently make requests known to the Lord, whether that's the most smallest detail in our life, making, out of, making it out of your AP classes alive, or much bigger, complicated things. And in the example of the, with the example of this passage, this is a pretty complicated, hairy thing. But we can trust that God is just, 
that God is precise and that God is going to accomplish what he's set out. See, the point is we ask and believe because we know that God will accomplish his purpose in the end. See, we need to believe that his plan is a divine one and that all he does is good. Abraham's intercession was a humble one and one that came out of compassion. And if you're familiar with chapter 18, you, you know what happens. He goes on to ask, you know, if God would destroy Sodom, if there, were, if there were 50 and he gets down stopping at 10, if there was 10 righteous, would you spare the city? And God says, yes, I would. If there was 10 righteous, I would. See, Abraham was learning of God's overwhelming love for people. God is love, but he's just first. He was convinced that God would do what was right and just. See, trusting God isn't easy because it requires us to let go of our our own logic, our own reasoning, our own knowledge, our own wisdom. But God's plan is precise. And he sets to accomplish what he plans. And he doesn't leave that to us. That's why when we trust in his plan for us, when we, we, we acknowledge that he knows best, and whether or not we understand his reasoning behind circumstances and situations, we can trust that we pay, we, we, he will patiently and purposefully execute his plan. And like Abraham, we can ask, but we must be content with the response. God's plan is a divine one, and all he does is good. Let's pray. Thank you.